Good evening, church. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. We are at our fifth section of the book and Bible study revival entitled Works of Mercy. Let me offer a word of prayer for us and then I want to read some scriptures. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, O oh God, as you begin to bring uh, this your day to a close, Lord, we are uh, in your word and that is certainly a, a good place to be. Lord, to start the day uh, glorifying your name, Lord, offering our love for you and closing our day with uh, an attitude of thanksgiving is a good way to start and to end uh, one's uh, spiritual day. So bless this study, Lord, and bless those who are watching uh, this, uh, your ministry. We ask this in Jesus' holy and blessed name. Amen. Okay, uh, session five, works of mercy. Let, let me do this. Let me read two scriptures for us this evening. The first comes from James 2, James 2, verses 14 and 18. Let me start there. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food? And one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Okay, we're going to be looking at uh, works of mercy and then uh, the foundry and what that was in London, England. So let me uh, just turn here in our study and, and begin in this way. We've learned that John Wesley believed the goal of Christian life was sanctification, being perfected in Christian love. There are two sides of sanctification. Loving God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said these, summarized the law and the prophets in that way. Jesus gave a second command, which he also said, summarized the law and prophets. Saying, in everything do to others as you would have them do to you. From Matthew seven twelve. We know that this command is the golden rule. Now Wesley understood that James was describing the heart of God and that God's salvation is not merely from sin and death, but for righteousness, godliness, and works of mercy and compassion. There are two senses in which John Wesley spoke of and pursued good works. Take note of these. 
The first sense was in the ordinary expressions of love that are summarized in the Golden Rule. As we grow in sanctification, that growth should be evident in our increased patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and love. But if we are not consciously praying for and seeking these fruits of the Spirit, they may actually, and this makes sense, diminish over time. The second sense was in what were traditionally called the works of mercy. In the Roman Catholic theology, these were divided into seven corporal works of mercy and seven spiritual works of mercy. The corporal works were largely, largely drawn from Jesus' parable of the sheep and the goats, which were feed the hungry, provide drink for the thirsty, clothe the naked, care for the homeless, visit the sick, and minister to the prisoner. The seventh was burying the dead, which was drawn from Catholic scripture from the book of Tobit, which I, I recommend uh, that, uh, that you read if you have time to. The spiritual works of mercy were instructing the ignorant, counseling those who doubted, admonishing sinners, <clears throat> bearing wrongs patiently, forgiving others willingly, comforting the afflicted, and praying for others. Wesley borrowed the designation of works of mercy, in quotes, spoke of all of these and others by acts by which we intentionally care and assist those who need God's help. Wesley believed that these acts of mercy God is working in and through us. Yet he also taught that these acts of mercy are themselves a means of grace. By intentionally helping, ministering to, and caring for others, we avail ourselves of God's grace. Our own actions become the instrument God uses to change us. So, eight years before John Wesley's heartwarming experience of God's grace on Aldersgate Street, he had already begun practicing acts of mercy as an essential part of his faith. It was actually one of the Oxford students with whom he had met to study scripture, William Morgan, who encouraged Wesley to do so. Morgan had been visiting prisoners at the Castle Prison in Oxford and asked Wesley to join him. Soon John, too, was ministering to prisoners. Richard Heitzenrader points out that Wesley's scheme for pastoral visitation for 1731 taken from John Wesley's diary, was this. Monday, Bacardo Prison. Tuesday, Castle Prison. Wednesday, Children. Thursday, Castle. Friday, Bocardo. Saturday, Castle. Sunday, Poor and Elderly. These simple entries and humble actions became defining elements of Methodism which were ministering to prisoners, helping impoverished children, visiting the elderly, and caring for the poor. After Wesley joined Whitfield in preaching to the Kingswood miners, both men felt called to begin a school for the poor children miners, of miners and anyone else, regardless of age, who wished 
to learn. Wesley built a schoolhouse that was used for both education and as a preaching house. This was not the first time Wesley and the Methodists had, in, had been involved in educating underprivileged children. As with prison ministry, he and the others at Oxford had begun an education ministry, pulling their resources to hire a tutor for children there. Education was important to the early Methodists. It was a ticket out of poverty and also a tool that made students more effective instruments for God's use in the changing world around them. In addition to public schools, American Methodists started hundreds of colleges and universities. It's likely that in your state, Centenary College, perhaps in your own town, there's an institution of higher learning that was founded by Methodists. Universities started by Methodists, including Southern Methodist University, listed first because that is Pastor Hamilton's alma mater, Duke, Emory, Northwestern, Drew, I'm an alum, Boston University, and the University of Southern California, just to name a few of the better-known schools. The impulse to start universities should not be surprising to us, given that the Methodist movement began with an Oxford Fellow and a small group of college students. So let's talk a minute about the foundry in London. Two sides of the gospel here. Upon returning from America, having been challenged and encouraged by the faith of the Moravian Christians, Wesley spent much of his time in London during 1738, helping to form a religious society <clears throat> that became known as the Fetter Lane Society. As we've learned, religious societies were organizations of like-minded Christians who sought to encourage one another towards spiritual health and maturity. They met once a week for prayer and mutual accountability. Wesley described this group as the third rise of Methodism, the first being at Oxford, the second being with the fledgling groups he led in Georgia. Now, a new society was founded at the renovated building known as the Foundry. This society eventually took on the same name as the combined groups in Bristol, the United Society. This was the name by which the Methodist societies became known throughout Great Britain. At the Foundry in the 1740s, the Methodist works of mercy saw new expressions. Wesley started a fund to help small loans akin to today's micro-lending. And the fund made loans to 250 people in the first year. On Fridays, the poor who were sick came to be treated and provided basic medical care. In 1747, Wesley published a book on, in quotes, easy and natural methods for curing most diseases. Wesley and the Methodists at the Foundry leased two houses for poor and elderly widows and their children. And, as at Kingswood, they started a school for children who roamed the streets. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I'm astounded by what the Methodists uh, were, were able to do in their day and time and their uh, early beginnings here. Let, let me close with this. 
Wesley knew that loving God and neighbor are two integrally, integrally, got that out right, connected sides of the gospel. They are what Paul was speaking of in one of the scriptures that began this chapter. And let me read it again for you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So the final question for us uh, that is certainly uh, relevant and applicable is this. Do you have a both and faith? Do you recognize the importance of both a personal walk with Jesus Christ and a gospel that is lived out by good works? Do you seek to love God with your mind, your heart, and your strength? Does your faith both reflect two sides of the gospels? And my, my closing thought is, um, I, I'm sure that uh, you are uh, as amazed as I am uh, in the works of mercy that were being done in, in England at that time. Of course, John Wesley uh, thought he had his own blunders, his own failures, but he was able to, if you will, see the light at the end of the tunnel and not have a spirit of complete defeat and throw in the white towel. But he grew from it. He, he allowed uh, these moments in his life that he thought, were failures to uh, grow him and mature him. Uh, and he was able, uh, along with so many others, uh, many uh, of them were lay pastors, both men and women, to do extraordinary things in the name of Jesus Christ for others. So, uh, re revival, uh, if we allow it, can really transform a, a human being. I, I think uh, the one thing that, that I've tried to emphasize with uh, revival is this, that we, we need to come into an awareness that, that we need uh, revival. If we have become uh, stale spiritually, if we uh, spend our times fighting and allowing petty politics to uh, infect the church, then, then there is uh, no room um, for a, a spiritual revival. So we need to come, firstly, into an awareness, okay, that God can renew, uh, refresh, reinvigorate uh, the people of faith. And it is for our own spiritual benefit that revival uh, can happen and uh, change and um, transform. Uh, live. So let me let me leave it uh, with that, and, and, and I think that uh, in this study shows uh, that that was happening uh, in the church of John Wesley's day, and even within his own soul. So I will leave it there, works of mercy. Uh, let me um, just make a plug for next Wednesday. We will have our Ash Wednesday service in our Family Life Center at 6.30. I would love to see you there. It is a, a service of, of liturgy, and you will also have the imposition of the ashes placed on your forehead. Uh, very uh, excited about that moment. That will begin our Lenten journey 
uh, together. So I look forward to seeing you there. It will be taped, and a big thank you to Rachel for, for doing that for us. So that will be online uh, for you as well, if you are not able uh, to be there. And, and, and here's another invitation that I want to put out to you. If you are not able uh, to come to the service but would like the uh, ash imposed on your forehead, call the church and I will be more than happy to come to you and do that. Very, very important uh, time in the life of our church and in your life to have that spiritual blessing. So you just call your church and you, you let your preacher know if you'd like uh, those imposition of ashes on your forehead and we will make that happen for you. Okay, let me offer a word of prayer for us and we'll go forth. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, oh God, revival is truly, truly a blessing. And I pray that we can look at it in that way. Revival by no means is punishment, Lord. It is something that can renew uh, and enrich our lives. I pray that as a church, as a denomination, Lord, that we can certainly be um, open, Lord, to the Holy Spirit's movement of revival because, Lord, it changes lives for the better. Bless us, Lord. Bless our lives. Bless our church and bless the kingdom of God. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Folks, you have a wonderful and blessed rest of your day. I look forward to seeing you soon. Take care and God bless.